surprise, bitch. Everybody, welcome to American Horror Stream. Hello, look, it's not Hannah Selector. <laughs> it's Mel's Bells. Everybody, this is this is uh, Melanie, who will actually, I guess, do I call you just Mel's? You can call me Mel's, and it's uh, Melissa. <laughs> yeah, I know. But like, I I knew like five Melanies, and I only knew one. Melissa. <laughs> So, That's okay. Well, you may call me Mel. Mel. Yeah. You can call me Mel. Fair and enough. It... <laughs> and I think uh, it was very clever of you to wait for there to be a hurricane so that Hannah wouldn't be around. <laughs> that was smart thinking. I know. The wheels are always turning up here, I tell you. That's pretty good stuff. <laughs> and uh, in reality, what happened was Hannah is super angry about um castle rock and i'm not so pleased about it myself and american horror story is not her favorite show and why would we have her do a show that was not her favorite so instead since i have a huge american horror story fan here with you mel's correct unless you were lying the whole time (laughs) i wasn't i promise (laughs) we thought that since the show just started. It actually premiered the night that Castle Rock ended. That it might be a good thing to do a show about it because I talk about it every time it comes out, and I know a lot of other people that do. And I didn't hear a lot of stuff, you know, there weren't a lot of shows devoted to it that I could find. So, why wouldn't we just do one? If you can't find something, make it yourself. That's right. <laughs> so, then. Here's how we're going to do it, at least for now. This, Since this is the first episode, we might end up changing it. But what are you going to do? We have, I guess, uh, a ghost that sends us emails. It is a, another member of our squad who doesn't really have corporeal form, I guess, because she just sent a big manifesto email. So what we're going to do is first we're going to talk about essentially American Horror Story up to this point and what our feelings on it are overall, because I'm actually very interested in hearing what you have to say about all that. I definitely have my opinions. Then we're going to go through what uh, the ghost sent me. And then Mel's is going to do the recap because I'm terrible at recaps and everybody in the world is better at them than I am. And in the tradition of Supervisual Gallery podcasts, She's got a notebook full of actual writing instead of stuff typed. Yeah, look at that. Pages. Pages, my friends. <laughs> well, anything different is Hannah uses lots of small notebooks and Mel's has one big one. Yeah. So tell me, Mel's, what is your overall impression of the series American Horror Story? Never mind individual um, uh, seasons to this yeah. point. Right. But if you know, if somebody said, "Hey, I want to binge stuff," would you recommend? Like, let's say they broke their, I don't know, their pelvis or something, and they were going to be in like bed for a long time, so they had to have something super long. Yeah. Would you, would you recommend it? I would. Um, 
Murder House, first season, right off the bat, was a solid. It drew me in. And so I was hooked from the beginning. Um, and then what I personally like the most about the show is it it's created in an anthology you know, way where they use the same characters, etc. But the stories are different. And um, that to me keeps it interesting. Um, it's not a traditional show where you keep the same actual characters um, throughout, you know, eight seasons. It's the same actors, but they're playing totally different roles. Um, I think Ryan Murphy is a genius. And so, um, you know, all of those things combined has what is what has kept me, um, you know, a solid fan for all these years. Genius. That is high <laughs> praise. <laughs> yeah, you hear that, Ryan Murphy? <laughs> yeah, I know. It, and I agree with you. You know, Murder House was a, it was so fresh and new when they did it. And that idea of things being all over the place and introducing what would theoretically be you know, an entire arc for some shows just being a one episode in and out, like the Halloween episode from, yeah. from the Murder House season, that kind of thing, was fascinating to me. And it has been, I think it's fair to say, uneven. Mm -hmm. so, you know, there's definitely people that are going to have, and we'll probably at some point do our, you know, order of the seasons from, you know, worst to best. And I think if I have one problem with the show is sometimes they get into this mode where it's almost like a five-year-old trying to tell a story because they're like, and so there's all these people in this house and then there's a pig man that has a knife and then there's a <laughs> lady that has fire and then, you know what I mean? Like it's yeah. just, there's so many and thens that after a while you're like, I don't remember what the beginning of the story was. That's true. That's very true. And and um, there have definitely been some seasons where it has taken a lot for me to keep up, uh, you know, because there were there were so many different storylines going along um, at the same time. So I think at the time that American Horror Story started, we didn't really see something like that on TV yet. So it was interesting and it was well written the acting was phenomenal and you know the directing everything so yes they tend to get into the weeds i think personally um on some of the uh seasons and you have to i don't want to say you have to put deep concentration on it because it's not that you know, <laughs> it's not that heavy but Sometimes it can get trippy when you're trying to connect, like, okay, so this happened three episodes ago, but now it's this totally different thing. And so, you know, um, it can, I think it can get caught in the weeds, but there really hasn't been a season that, well, first of all, that I haven't watched. And um, I'm, with me. I'm still going to yeah. watch. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Like, even if it was one that I left, you know, thinking, I don't know much right. about how I feel about that right. I, it's not going to stop me from watching it so yeah um and I'm sure we will get into ranking the seasons because I oh, like to do that <laughs> now by the way there are someone in the chat already because and if you're listening to this on iTunes 
we're doing the show live on YouTube and we're going to do it every Friday night and we'll confirm the time, but it's probably going to be around 10 o'clock Eastern time on Friday nights. Um, and if it wavers, you know, there'll be plenty of places for you to check, but then it's going to go out into the podcast feed. But if you come to the live show, then there's a chat going. And the first person in the chat asked if it was too late to submit feedback for Castle Rock. So, Hey, <laughs> the answer is no Castle Rock historical at gmail.com. And yay because at least someone knew that something was going on because it's always tough to start out with a new show yeah so now i think i agree with everything you said about the way the show is gone i'm gonna start out and and i had a big problem with a lack of francis conroy in castle rock I have no lack of Francis Conroy in American Horror Story. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so her, coupled with my scrawny goddess, Emma Roberts, the, yeah, yeah. the, the ravishing uh, <laughs> Montgomery. Um, goddess is, goddess uh, Roberts, that's what we'll call yeah, her. <laughs> but you got to throw scrawny in there, too, because she is like a little piece of gristle but in a good in the best possible way <laughs> so that immediately made me happy when i found out she was in it because i think i i loved my favorite season just fyi was coven yeah yeah okay. without a doubt it was my favorite season and then i was so sad um because freak show was such a, a bummer like that was the one where i like i don't understand anymore and i don't feel yeah. like going back to trying to figure it out so it but we can't do the countdown we we can't give everybody the countdown now we got to save it yes yes yeah so i'm gonna start out with what the ghost sent yes because it's kind of funny she did a character breakdown and i think that that's actually kind of handy for us so i'm gonna give what she said and she had a couple little points in there and everything like that. I'm not going to read it like word for word because then the show would be over because it's super detailed. <laughs> but I think what I will do, maybe Mel's, is that we'll put it in the in the post that we're going to put on superficialgallery.com so that um, people can read all the stuff that's in there because okay. we'll go on there anyway. All right. So then Wilhelmina Venable, that's Sarah Paulson. She runs out post three. She has a potentially romantic relationship with Miriam Mead, played by Kathy Bates. And, I mean, she's referencing some stuff that's going to uh, come up in the recap, but we know that there's a weird power play going on between them. And especially with one particular fake radiation person. And yeah. mm -hmm. you know, that, that whole <laughs> madness. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, also, uh, the ghost goes out of her way to point out that Obviously, Cordelia, the Supreme, and Billy Dean Howard, the reporter, survived the apocalypse because they're both going to be in the show and played by Sarah Paulson. So, well on that. Mary Mead, played by Kathy Bates, has the best haircut that she has had since. <laughs> yeah, I have some comments about her look in this, too. Yeah. <laughs> severe and uh, some so some of the questions that the ghost wants answered is how did she end up helping run this outpost what kind of shit did she do did she do for the military before this to get here why does she want to play dress up and the fun part and i'm going to save it till the end when it comes up in the recap but there's one part about her that is 
kind of truly frightening and it was a i thought it was great and and the ghost pointed it out as well then we go to mr is it gallant it's got to yeah. be uh, yeah, my southern accent would is calls him gallant, but yeah. we'll go with gallant. <laughs> cool. uh, the whiny and dramatic hairdresser who I already love because duh, Evan Peters. <laughs> and his perfect grandmother, Evie Joan Collins, she seems to be around for comic relief, at least at this point. Yeah. They didn't do a ton with her. And he's also supposed to be uh, Tate Langdon. Yes. Oh, Tate. Yeah. My one of my crushes. Mm-hmm. A lot of a lot of people fell in love with with the entire show because of Tate and his weird rubber suit and his mm. mess. And he has an incredibly important role in this, in yep. addition to everything else, because of our little guest at the end, who you actually heard in the opening, if you heard the opening theme. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is Dinah Stevens, who seems to be Oprah, and we don't really know anything about her yet. Mallory, played by Billy Lord. It, she's not, she plays um, the personal assistant to Coco St. Pierre Vanderbilt, and she wanted her to drink cold pressed juice which i thought was in style a while ago which was a weird i don't know what they're doing with time pinpoint that pin that yeah okay so then um then there so then there's coco st pierre vanderbilt she's very hateable and the ghost says why does leslie grossman always play characters that i hate i guess could be good at it and she paid a hundred million dollars to get to the outpost and uh, left poor Billy Eichner, her husband, to die in Santa Monica in what was the most stereotypical scene ever. Well, this was very reminiscent of their their uh, relationship from Colt. Yeah, that is very true. So, it was, it was true fashion on that. <laughs> that is true. Then Timothy Campbell... The ghost said, first off, who is this actor? I don't know, but he's hot, so I hope he doesn't die. And I hope he's at least, like, 20 years old. (laughs) (laughs) And he gets accepted into UCLA and is happy for about 30 seconds. That Also, the last one is Emily, also chosen to go to the outpost. She got snatched up quickly. She was already in jail for protesting, parentheses, where my feminist at. And... She's very anxious to see what happens between her and uh, Timothy. And then we're, I'm going to save her last piece for the end of the recap because that's the big reveal sort of at the ah, end. Of the episode. Okay. So, what is cooking with episode one of Apocalypse there, Mel's? Well, um, first off, we know that this season is going to be the coveted, um, you know, anticipated crossover between Murder House and Coven, um, two of obviously the best seasons that they have put out. So this is exciting. Um, So we start off the bat in a uh, upscale, you know, L.A. trendy uh, hair salon. We have Mr. Gallant, I guess, which is Evan Peters, um, and he is cutting and styling um, our whiny, bitchy 
uh, millionaire, billionaire that wants to be a social media influencer, Coco. Um, Coco uh, is complaining about, you know, uh, needing followers on Instagram, likes, et cetera, et cetera. Um, her assistant Mallory comes in and has her drink this, you know, trendy cold press, uh, you know, drink for, you know, likes on YouTube, excuse me, on Instagram. And then she's like, this is shit. I need an, uh, a frappe to get this taste out of my mouth. So immediately we're set with these characters right off the bat with building the, the characters as she's going to be whiny. And she's going to be annoying. Through the, I don't know if she makes it to the whole season, but her time on the season is going to be annoying. Usually whatever whatever they get painted as in the beginning is kind of what they ride through the whole thing. And True. that feel like it became more and more like that as the series went on. Sometimes there's there's reveals as far as, you know, this person was bad when you thought they were good or something like that. But they kind of tell you who they are right from the beginning mostly. <laughs> and so in the case of in the case of Coco and uh especially the assistant and in a way like you said Mr. Gallant they kind of set up who they were right in that one scene it took like what 2 minutes yeah literally and then we see Winter from last season she is in the season as well and she is the poor mistreated assistant to Coco the social media influencer as they're sitting there talking, everyone's phones start going off, and there is a missile alert that LA is fixing to get hit probably about an hour off, you know, from destruction clear. Of course, Coco is like, it's, you know, this is like Hawaii. They're going to cancel it. You know, this is her true typical fashion. But of course, everyone else is concerned because, you know, we don't take things like that just lightly. So she then gets the call from her dad who tells her that her mother, her brother, and he are um, in Hong Kong and they are not going to make it. And they have four seats on a private jet that will take them somewhere safe. And then they all explode on the phone. <laughs> so <laughs> that was funny to me because she was kind of like, Huh? Hello? <laughs> you know, like, yeah, I think your dad just got like creamed by a nuclear missile. But gotcha. So, um, the private jet is in Santa Monica now. I'm not very familiar with California, so anyone can help me out with this. I don't know how far Santa Monica is from LA, um, or if it's part of it. I'm sorry for the ignorance. I'm just not that good with the map. So miles. Fifteen. It's 15 miles, but even now, which we're doing this at, we're at 1038, so it's 738. To go those 15 miles right now in that traffic would be 42 minutes. So, yeah. And that's at 738 p.m. on a Friday night when there's not a missile coming. So Exactly, exactly. Um, so, yeah, that, okay. So uh, she then calls her husband partner who is billy eichner he is named brock um of course he is also uh whiny and bitchy um uh -huh. and i don't know if we're gonna see him again this season but uh he is off the bat you know uh complaining about a six episode miniseries of free willy which i would watch so i don't know <laughs> why somebody doesn't just 
go with that. And she's telling him about the phone call. She's telling him that missiles are coming. It's real. He needs to get to the Santa Monica airport. Um, The one thing is when the news uh, anchor came on with that broadcast, for me, it was chilling because it it was really well, well done. But, and y'all are going to have to forgive me because I am one of those people where I write things down that I see happening multiple times, which this could be inconsequential later on. But the newscaster makes a statement, I can't believe we actually did it. So that um, immediately off my, my the top of my, my head, I'm like, so did, is this something the U.S. caused or, you know, um, we as humanity, as humanity, exactly, because later in the episode, when you see the um, newscast again, it's repeating that same line. Um, <clears throat> so cue in Jackie Collins, who I grew up in the deep south. And we watched Dynasty, and uh, so she's a treasure to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you watched Dynasty, but I will tell I, you. Uh, it was fun when I was in the house, but I wouldn't. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, I had, you know, a grandmother that was just like, you know, she that was her lifestyle pretty much, as she thought at least. So Dynasty was a big thing. Um, Joan Collins, she's 85 years old. I know, and she's like the epitome of perfection. So let's give it up for her. Um, I I like it because I feel like, well, obviously throughout this episode, as we'll talk about and and you saw, she's been used as a comic relief, I think. You know, um, she's always got a witty response, and um, she's quite frankly – I don't give a shit about anything. So yeah, uh, super happy to even yeah, to be alive. alive what I liked though, will tell you there was a little hidden, I don't know if it would be an Easter egg, but a throw um, out, you know, a throwback to this one episode of dynasty where she gets into it with another character because the character told her that, her champagne was burnt. Oh, is that what she kept saying? That? <laughs> yes. And uh, yeah, I had a good giggle over it because I actually remembered it. And so that's why she kept saying, you left it in the freezer too long. It's burnt champagne. Um, because basically on Dynasty, it was the opposite. She would have been, you know, the maid at, at the house who was getting bitched right. out about the burnt wine. So... Um, she is rich Grandma Evie. We find out that she is the grandmother of Mr. Gallant. I don't know why we don't have a first name for him yet. I just feel weird calling him that. In my notes, I kept saying Evan Peters, but I mean, I'm going to be correct on this and I'm going to call him his real name. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, and he's like, Grandma, we got to get out of here, you know, the missile attacks are real. Another comic, you know, relief from her. She's just like, oh, you know, um, well, let's, we at least need to take the good champagne, you know. So um, <clears throat> we then cut to uh, Coco and Mallory in the car that the dad said was coming to pick her up to take her to the airport. Right. Um, 
Mallory is concerned about her own family and the fate of her family. She can't reach her mother. She tries to get out of the vehicle and, and, you know, go to spend time with her mom. And Coco somehow convinces her to stay by simply telling her that she is um, worse than Elton John. (laughs) I don't know what that means. I I know. It's funny. I got to do some deep dives on this because I'm like, is can Elton John not load a dishwasher? These are the things that I need to, I need to learn. So, um, and she stays. And then of course we get the big, you know, where we start seeing the chaos really start to ensue. And that's when people are jumping to their deaths, committing suicide to avoid the nuclear, um, you know, bomb that's coming to hit one hits the vehicle. And um, so they start to speed off and just, you know, hurriedly get to the airport for um coco and possibly brock and uh, mallory to escape um there are four spots on there so i liked how the guy that was uh the guy that was driving him was just totally happy shooting everybody okay thank you yeah i mean that's where i was about to get to you didn't have anywhere else to go you know what I mean? I just drove you through all this madness. Someone landed on my hood and killed themselves. But don't worry, I won't take that extra spot on the plane. I will right. just sacrifice myself for you. Well, these poor other guys, these fucking baggage handlers that weren't doing anything <laughs> wrong. Like you know what I mean? Like it was just bizarre. They all just wanted to ride. Yeah. Um so and uh during that time, though, is when um, Mr. Gallant shows up with Grandma Evie, and he's like, I know you have two spots on that plane, and we are going. She is on the phone with Brock, and she subsequently pulls out their contractual um, agreement for their marriage, and she says, I I hereby release you, and you are now free to see other people. So oh, I find that hilarious because he's obviously, you know, going to die. So – um <clears throat> then we we get the shots of Brock um kind of running through the city cuz he was going to try to run to the airport. A lot of crazy things going on. I mean, people stabbing other people, uh looting, riots. I mean, everyone's scared. Um what you would think would be a typical reaction in an apocalypse. I did hone in and rewind and watch and think it was funny that a baker threw a knife in a kid's back who was stealing a lo- loaves of bread from his shop. Put a oh. pin in that because something is said later in the episode that I think is a call to that. And I find it funny. So then we get a plane shot. Everybody's, you know, on the plane and, and someone asks, you know, well, where are we going? Like, What's going on? And she says, uh, Coco says, I don't know. And Mallory's like, your dad didn't tell you? No. So she's like, well, let's see who's flying this plane. The plane is flying itself. Yeah. <laughs> Just, okay, whatever. Um, I don't have a theory for that yet. Do you have thoughts on that? Whenever, and you have to do it with every TV show, but you have to do it with AHS a lot. <laughs> There's no place on the planet that it would take an hour for an ICBM to get Anywhere, literally anywhere else on the planet. Like, unless they strapped it to a duck and the duck was the one that was flying it, <laughs> that's not how any of it works. Exactly. So, 
when it goes off and the plane like tilts to the side and then they open the door and they see there's no they're flying a plane on autopilot is simple right. landing it and taking off not so much right so yeah. maybe they're trying to say you know that sophistication behind the cooperative is so advanced that you can have a robot playing. Yeah, you know what I mean. That's True. that's the thing I can think of. True, the rest is just nonsense. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I, this thought even crossed my mind, and then I said to myself, I don't think they'd go this far. But I was like, is there a ghost flying this plane? <laughs> I mean, I was like, that. Mm, I don't know. I hope something comes back to that though, because I don't want them to just leave that as you know an open ended like well the plane was just flying itself um those are little things that i will obsess over (laughs) (laughs) i did have that in capital letters no one is piloting this plane (laughs) the ghost you answered it yeah Uh, of course we get some more um grandma ev comic relief no stewardess i won't be ordering the dry fruit cup which is like (laughs) okay grandma um then we get the blast that hit LA and they watch it out of the plane window. The, the plane does have turbulence and everything like that. And um, <clears throat> obviously I haven't lived through a nuclear um, bomb or anything of the sort, but I guess if you're just not in that central area, it doesn't affect you. So the plane was far enough away that it didn't get, you know, in you know, affected by that blast. Yeah. To, to the best of my knowledge, which is completely from obsessing on History Channel. Yes, yeah. <laughs> there's the initial blast portion of it is is big, but it's not so big that it's going to, you know, go up that far into the sky or anything like that. I gotcha. At the end of the day, it's still a, just a really big bomb. Right. You know I mean, so, and when you see the mushroom cloud... Wherever you are, where you can see it from, you're far enough away where it's not going to get you. Now, eventually, it's going to get you because of the radiation and everything like that. But in the initial thing, unless you're within the, there's like three different radii, like there's the blast one and there's the shockwave one and everything like that. I think they were, they they seem far enough away. Yeah, yeah. Um, to backtrack just a bit, I did think it was funny because that all of a sudden Brock did see the plane flying away. I mean, yeah, I was like, yeah, okay, not. He's like, you better. Yeah, don't leave me, you bitch. Uh, I love Billy Eigner personally, and anything that he does is just brightens my day. So, um, they all watch, uh. LA go up in flames and now we cut to our opening credits do you want to go into a dive about the opening credits because what I like to do with each season is just take note of how they put their opening credits together because it'll give you a piece of information as to or foreshadowing on how the show is going to go and what I noticed uh, is it was a pretty good mashup of season one uh, credits and season three credits. Uh, we got a lot of the creepy baby um, demonic photos that we got in season one, uh, uh, presumably from that doctor and the things he did. You know, um, all of those pictures were in the basement. Um, and then we did get a lot of snakes, which is the coven um 
staple. And we got a couple of the these weird creatures that I think also we had in season three. Now they my did that. Favorite, huh? My favorite thing in any of the ever history of the show uh, things in the title sequence was in this title sequence and it was the thing that I had on before the show started. It's that weird yes. demon skeleton guy. Mm-hmm. That's the best. Yeah. And I like, already have some thoughts on him. So I thought it was cool because then they did an overlay of what an apocalyptic world would look like if you are at the end of life, you know, uh, explosions right. and, and then a lot of devil imagery and things like that. So what we have next, uh, which ironically enough, I, I thought it was ironic. They showed the typical nuclear family, <laughs> which I couldn't yeah. do anything but giggle at because I was like, oh, okay, I, I get you. Okay. Um, uh, uh, <laughs> okay. I see what you're doing. Um the and it is it is such like what you imagine the picket fence life would be for you know a family a mom's at home with her two sons they're handsome she's beautiful um you know and he's like on a countdown till 3 p.m to see if he gets into ucla they're wondering where the dad's at he's not home yet um and then he obviously gets into ucla and it's just you know all of this you know, cheering and we knew you could do it. And, you know, you're, you're a great son. Um, and then dad bust in and pretty much rocked <laughs> their world and turned all of that upside down. Um, they, they did get the missile text. So I'm assuming this obviously happened before missile text because then they got the missile text and they were like, what is this? In comes to dad. He's like, you haven't been watching the news. That's where we get the broadcast again. And it's this, just the part where the the anchor says, uh, I can't believe we actually did it. So I'm just curious uh, to know who we are. <clears throat> and it could oh, be Jamie a total Owen. red herring, but. Jamie Owen in the in the chat said, good catch there, Mel. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, oh. Details, details. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, I can't see the chat. Is that normal? It's because you're looking at me, you poor bastard. And <laughs> it's got to be in the actual, on the YouTube page. So Okay, I'll, that's I'll okay. Don't worry. Well, okay. We're doing the important stuff right now, so. Yeah, thank you, Acadia. So, all right. Um, family is very upset. They don't know what to do. They have nowhere to go. Of course, something like this is obviously never... Um, cross anyone's mind as it probably wouldn't because, well, before our times now, um, growing up, I never thought about it. Let's put it that way. So, um, all of a sudden, Armored Hummer pulls up these, you know, to me, like shield agents from the Marvel universe. So they bust in and they're, uh, you know, like, we've got to take Timothy. Timothy Campbell with us. Uh, the dad wants to know why, what's going on. He has apparently got super DNA, um, not dino DNA, but super DNA. Um, and he's got strong genetics that are uh, positioned for survival. So basically he's, he's a 
a DNA gem is what I'm calling him. Yeah. Now, I'm going to go on a conspiracy tangent. I'm warning you right now. He said, uh -huh. how do you know this? And they say you submitted your DNA to an Ancestry website. People do not do this, okay? I am a conspiracy theorist, and I am not swapping myself and sending it in the mail to anyone, okay? This is what happens. And that's we don't know. Huh? That's how they get you. See? And we don't know if it's going to be good or bad for Timothy, so. No, we don't. And if I did it, people would show up in a um, in an armored Hummer and say, there's not an apocalypse, but we have to kill you right away. <laughs> and, uh, so I'm never doing it. Yeah, I don't think I'd be on that favored list either. They'd be like, this couch potato's got to go. So <laughs> she's not going to be any help to society after the nuclear winter. Um, <clears throat> so... Of course, he's upset. He doesn't want to leave his family, but his dad tells him to go. Um, this is his chance for survival. So, um, you know, everyone is sad, and, and then he drives off in the Hummer and watches his, you know, poor family and his nuclear perfect life disappearing in the back of a window, as the um, cliche would say. Um Next scene we get is where they are taking Timothy to what I presume is an underground bunker. Um, he's asking where he's at. They tell him, don't worry about it. You know, it's none of your business. You'll know when you need to know type thing. And they throw him Yeah, don't worry about it. You know, you're <laughs> safe down here, and that's all you need to know. They throw him in a cage. I'm not going to get started on cages because this is the, no, not the right no. part. This is not the right video chat for that. So... <laughs> They throw a kid in a cage. What's going on here? Um, so uh, he finds out that he's not the only one in the cage. There is a girl named Emily in there as well. They strike up a conversation. He asks her, you know, how did they get you? Was it because of your DNA? She says, I don't know. I, they pulled me from jail for protesting, um, like our ghost told us earlier. Um and he said, well, it must be your doctor's records or something that they were able to get access to. Now, I'm putting a pin in this also because we don't really explicably find out what it is about Emily that put her in that cage. And I've always got this kind of mindset of where the small things, even though they might seem like, okay, well, you know, obviously they did – they found her DNA some way and did this. But I I just like to leave these things open ended because we know that this we know that this show takes surprising twists and turns. So um I got some thoughts on her, but I don't I don't want to believe them yet. So we'll keep that for later. Um the explosion happens, sirens go off, and then we cut to two weeks later. Um they are then transported to pod or, well, it's not called a pod, outpost, excuse me, outpost number three. Now, I don't know, Acadia, if you've watched The Handmaid's Tale. No, Mrs. Ack loves it. I did not watch it at all. Okay, okay. Well, um, I'm a huge fan. And this, this whole scene and the 
in you know in the makeup of what they're doing on the inside of this outpost was very handmaid's tale to me um yeah. in the handmaid's handmaid's tale i believe it's called the wastelands but it could be something else um that's where they send the girls that cause trouble handmaids that cause trouble etc and they're basically shoveling around toxic um waste that you know has happened in the society since the the governmental you know takeover or whatever um it reminded me of that so much with all of the smoke and the the color choice for the shot and everything so um first thing that came to mind for me i was like whoa this is very handmade tale which is also an apocalyptic story so fair enough i am gonna say I don't necessarily think that the nuclear apocalypse would make it super foggy, which is, it seemed to be what their deal was. You know what I mean? They're like, oh, look how foggy it is. Yeah. It must be the apocalypse. I think there's definitely ash and that kind of thing. I just didn't know. Maybe, I mean, the, the fog is neat, but. Yeah, but it doesn't really add up. Um <clears throat> I yeah, thought the same thing. Dystopia handbook right down to workers having to wear gray. Oh. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so Wilhelmina, oh, well, let me refer to her as her, the rule number one I just broke. So I'd be out there <laughs> getting shot. Um, so they are bringing them in there. Uh <laughs> I am calling Timothy and Emily mutants, and that's because of my love for X Files. I mean, uh, X Men, and I'm calling them that because of their genetic disposition. You know, they're oh, I see. <laughs> um, so all right, they're you know they're taking the mutants there. So um, <clears throat> two we we do see two Grace get shot because they broke a rule. We don't yet know what that rule is, but um you kind of get the gist of what they're going into when they get into this outpost. Obviously it's not good. Um, so, and that was Kathy Bates that was leading them in. I wrote here in all capitals, you always follow Kathy Bates <laughs> everywhere she goes. Um, so they were taken in decontaminated, um, all capitals here, Sarah Paulson makes her entrance, which she always makes a tremendously wonderful entrance, in my opinion, into these shows. Um, she is Wilhelmina Venable. This mm-hmm. is outpost number three. Um, outpost number three. Outpost number three. And uh, upon being questioned about the fallout shelter being so, you know, ornate and you know doesn't seem like what you would envision a fallout shelter after a nuclear apocalypse would be um she says that it was once a all boys school so something is coming into my mind about coven but i'm i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to brush up on coven on that um she tells them this is the first time we hear about the cooperative. She tells them that they um, built this and renovated once they realized what was coming. So once they realized what was coming, they they had knowledge of this nuclear apocalypse that was going to happen. 
So in my mind, that took me back to when the newscaster said, I can't believe we did it. There's a lot of payroll. You can't have... <laughs> You can't have people waiting around in SUVs on like three shifts a day just in case there's going to be an apocalypse so that you can drive and get the guy in his house. <laughs> and then make sure that the pilot's just sitting there in the plane waiting to take you. know what I mean? Like that's right. that's a lot of overhead for this operation. Yeah. Hey, you know what? I, well, I have to say if we'll get to this. Well, when we're introduced to the characters that we're dealing with in outpost number three, I have some mm, thoughts about, cause there's two ways to get into that outpost. Either you're a genetic mutant. That's what I'm calling them. Or you are a billionaire and you paid a million dollars, a ticket, hundred million, a hundred million. You're right. A hundred million dollars a ticket to get in there. Mm hmm. And the people that are in there, I mean, we know about Coco, obviously, and I do believe that Grandma Evie has the money, and therefore her grandson would be in tow. But there are some others that I, I had some questions on. Um, the overhead. Huh. They were like, hey, you got to pay us $100 million in advance for a ticket so that we can then pay somebody to sit in a fucking car and wait for you. <laughs> that's Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> You're right. You're right. <laughs> Uh, she did make mention, though, Miss Venable, uh, that the cooperative uh, are made up of a dozen of the greatest minds and that they financed for all of this to be readily available once the nuclear uh, war went down or whatever. Um, something I thought was cool, the um, Emily, she said, because uh, because. Miss Venable said when they realized what was coming, and uh, I think it was one of the mutants, they said the end, and she said, no, the beginning. So, I like this. But, but Someone in the chat asked me about the bottle, and the bottle has <laughs> Acadia, I like it. So, th that's when they say the cooperatives are made up of a dozen of the greatest minds, uh, and then there's a select few that are called visionaries. Um I liked Timothy Mutant's joke about they if they're the greatest minds, why don't they have generators? Um, and she went on with a speech that I could say would be real life. Um, technology killed the world. Social media made people think they were equal. And so then she goes into now the natural order must restore itself, which hmm, I, he's not wrong. I mean, Technology does make, I mean, look at Twitter for two minutes, and as long as you got 10 assholes that will <laughs> like your tweet, it doesn't matter what you say because you feel like then you have a group that's yeah. on your side. You know what I mean? So oh, yeah. that part of it is good because it's allowing other people to have a voice, and part of it is bad because there was a reason why we were made a republic and not a democracy. Yes, agreed, 100%. And I, I don't disagree with what she said at all because I, I – do think that social media is going to cause if it's not already started and in the midst of causing some type of uh you know breakdown in our society i just liked her thoughts on everyone thought they were equal so back to a very much like we are a tiered society type thing you know not everybody is equal um which we'll learn is also how they operate in the house so uh, our two teenage mutants are uh, purples. They get a private furnished suite. 
Um, they are purples. They are called the elite, and it is because they were chosen to survive. Um, so these people in purple were chosen to survive. Now we'll get okay. We'll get to the characters later. Right, some of them weren't chosen by genetics. That's why I'm like okay. So, but you really either paid your way on there, or you. We only have two people in here that was genetically chosen. So, um. Those are the worthy ones, the elite chosen to survive. Uh, you will see the greys. They are the worker ants, but still a necessity in society. So, again, the breakdown of the colors and what their job functions are or their roles in this, you know, um, outpost is very handmaid's tailish to me as well. I don't know why they can get robots to fucking take a plane into the air and land it. But they can't get one that can make a fucking macaroni and cheese. That doesn't make any sense at all. Oh, the oh gosh, yeah, the mm -mm. so yeah, yeah. <laughs> and she tells them that she is um, event, you know, that she's a strong right arm of the cooperative. Think of her as the face, because I think she got a little miffed when Emily said, "So you're not a purple." I, uh, yeah. you know, so she got a little, little taut after that. Mm -hmm. Um, she gave them their rules. One, don't call her anything but Miss Venable. <laughs> I, okay. Uh, two, you can never leave. If you leave, you will be contaminated, and then there are, um, you know, serious consequences to that. Now, I made a super note here about canker. Pus monsters. Yeah, that was awesome. Being out there, um, and that is what you will become or what will take you if you go outside of the outpost. We'll That's come back to that at the end. She said it in such an offhand way. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was great. And yeah. I don't understand why they thought people wanted to run out into the radioactive fog anyhow. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm not going out there. Okay, I'm not trying to, you know, be a. I, I saw an apple tree on the way in. Let's go <laughs> get some of those delicious radioactive apples. Yeah, I ain't, I ain't trying to catch no radiation and and right. nothing like that. I will keep those canker sores away from me. Mm -hmm. um, rule number three: none unauthorized copulation. No exceptions. So what we find out then is that's what the two greys were being executed for in the beginning. Apparently they had unauthorized uh, copulations and they were executed, you know, shot execution style. How do you get that shit authorized? What form <laughs> do you have to fill well, out? And this is, this is where I'm kind of starting to think, what is in the genetics of the two that they're going to, possibly they might try to use them as breeding um, types to repopulate the world. I don't, I don't know about that yet, but I, there's something that they don't want. Let's say the millionaires that are there, they're not interested in their copulating, you know, but it might be something that's reserved for a purple that was genetically chosen. I, I don't know. I, hopefully we get more into that, you know, um, cause I think next episode is going to be really good. Um, so this is where, I got the bone chills uh, is when Timothy Mutant was taking a shower. Yep. Um, he got out, he toweled off, he went over to the mirror. It was foggy, except it had a 666 
in, uh, you know, written in the fog on the mirror. And all of a sudden you hear a whisper, beware, Timothy. I'm probably reaching here, but I, of course, I listened to it like four times. And to me, it sounded like Jessica Lange and it sounded like her character that was in Murder House 1. Now, I don't know, or, you know, season one, Murder House. I don't know if that is accurate. I don't know who it is that would be whispering. Um, I don't think it's anybody that's in this current world that we're looking at. I think it's someone connected to one of the other seasons. So either it's a witch or it's somebody in that murder house. Um, but And this was not on purpose. I'd love to say it was on purpose. But if anybody heard the the theme song for our little show here, which I guess I could just play again, but... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, see if you hear the two people whisper. I will play it. See if you can hear the two whispers that are in it. Surprise, bitch. We had Jessica Lang whispering. Yeah. yeah. And uh, her whispering, what am I going to do with you? Exactly. So uh, I totally planned it. Planned it. Yeah. I mean, I'm a huge Lang fan anyway, but uh, for me, that was my immediate. I was like, okay, that's that's got to be Jessica Lang. Now, I know that she's not going to be reprising a role as a regular this season. I think she's only going to be in maybe one episode and she's not going to be her coven character. She is going to be her um murder house. Murder house. So Constance um Langdon, I think is her name. That's who she's going to be reprising as in one scene or one episode, excuse me. Okay, so here we go with cocktail hour. <laughs> And the annoying song. Um, <clears throat> I can see where they were being driven mad. Uh, so we meet our other players in this game, as I like to call them. We have Andre and Stu, um, a fabulous couple that I suppose can afford $200 million to be on a, you know, be in here. I, they never mentioned that they're genetically, you know, mutants. Uh we obviously have Grandma Evie and her grandson, Mr. I forget his name already, Gallant. Gallant, oh. yeah. <clears throat> we have Coco, and we have Dinah Stevens, which is played by one of my favorite actresses. I've loved pretty much everything that she's done on the shows. Um, she's been in, I know she was in Cult. Was she in anything before that? Because I feel like she was. I remember. But I can't remember right now. Anyway, um, I just love that actress a lot. And Timothy recognizes her off the bat, and he's like, oh, my mom loved you. You know, she thought you were going to be the next Oprah. I loved her comment back where she was like, well, a million more of hers, and I wouldn't have been replaced by a Telenova. (laughs) So she is a washed-up talk show host or possibly 
um, more motivational speaker or something like that, as we learn later in the episode. So dinner is an ice cube. <laughs> That's what it looks like to me. Um, it looks like an ice cube with Kool-Aid at the bottom of it. I assume that it's like a marshmallow or something like that. Um, I'd like to know the consistency of it immediately. I was intrigued by that. And of course, the our mutant newcomers were like, what is this? And Dinah is so nice to explain to them that in this cube is every nutrition that our body needs, um, or so they tell us. So apparently they've learned a way to uh, make their nutrition into marshmallows and, uh, you know, pack it up with a with a bunch of nutrients. I'm personally not buying it. I don't think that it's got anything in it at all. We'll probably learn more about that. Of course, like I called from the beginning, Coco is complaining about her food. She's hungry. And then she tries to have some type of revolution about, you know, banning and, and, and disrupting because she only gets an ice cube for dinner. Um, this comes my favorite part. Well, I do like how she mentioned all of these millionaires, you know, bought all these tickets to be here. and We can't even get any pirates booty in here, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I thought was hilarious. Uh, but she gets a, she gets a bitch slap. She gets put in her place by Miss Venable. I wrote, thank you, queen. Now I, I am a Sarah Paulson. I, I want to say apologist, but I don't think there's anything to apologize for. Um, because anything that she does, even as the, our two headed, um, you know, conjoined twins in freak show, I love everything that she does. So, um, <clears throat> she tells her we've got 18 months worth of nutrition. So they have to be, you know, um, prepared and they have to be, you know, vigilant in taking what they can, what they're getting and that being it. Also in the chat, Damio uh, said that the, the Oprah character, she had a very big part in Roanoke. Uh, I forgot she did. That. Forgetting that Roanoke was even in it. Well, you know, I had my feelings on Roanoke. I, I watched it. Um, and you're right. She was in Roanoke. I, I knew I remembered her from something else. I just couldn't place the season. So thank you so much, Danielle. So then we have a, a one of the guards. Okay, I'm going to refer to Kathy Bates as Boo. Because if you watch Orange is the New Black, she is straight up modeled after Boo. Do you right. watch Orange is the New Black? No. Okay, well, she looks Maybe just you like Boo. Just watch all the shows that, uh, <laughs> that my wife watches. And well, yeah. That I well, Boo, she's got a Boo vibe going on, and somebody can confirm this in the chat if you feel this is true. Uh, but so one of the other guards, I'm going to assume that's the role, uh, came over and told Boo something, and then she informs Miss Venable that there has been a breach. Uh, something has penetrated the, uh, you know, outpost, the facility. Um, it was a carrier pigeon. And then we get Coco asking if they can eat the pigeon. Now, this is going to get old really fast for me, okay? Because her, her character last season got old really quick. And <laughs> this is going to be annoying to me. I can already tell you. Um, of course, Kathy Bates gives her the, you are an idiot and a dumbass. And she has to tell her it was content. You cannot eat the contaminated pigeon. I wrote down word for word what this note from the co-op read. No 
No more governments, only rotting mounds of corpses, too many to bury. Starving people uh, kill for a piece of bread. This is where I went to the recall of that baker stabbing that guy because he was stealing all of that bread. Um, (laughs) I mean, it's probably not even meant to be that, but I thought it was funny. Uh, Three outposts have been overtaken. Uh, So we are starting with 10. We are now down three. Okay. Um, We are the last uh, vestiges of civilized life on the planet. Be vigilant. So what we've gathered from that note from um, the cooperation or the co-op is that uh, these planned outposts that they thought were going to be a good idea are starting to become like run by the inmates, you know, like the, the insane asylum is being run by the patients probably. And, and um, we see probably why later on when we realize how Miss Venable is running her, her outpost. Uh, so it could be understandable how it could easily be taken over like that. Um, so be vigilant uh and then comes the <laughs> I shouldn't have been giggling at all of this, but I was. Uh we have a radioactive uh radioactive alert. Somebody has been outside of these walls. Mm-hmm. Uh, here comes uh Boo. I, I'm gonna get I'm sorry guys, I'm gonna get a real name down soon, but for right now she's Boo. Um, here comes Boo with the radiator, uh, radiation monitor. Tiger counter. Yeah, yeah. And she's going over every person, of course, giving this super intimidating, super creepy speech about, I can't believe the audacity of someone that would leave the perimeter and put all of you in danger like this. Um, this is what happens when you're exposed to radiation. Your flesh falls off your body. You know, the whole, like, it's, ter- it's scare tactic, which obviously, and it works. Um, so she's scanning everyone, and the radiation uh, machine – I'm, you called it the proper term just to, okay. Um, <laughs> goes off on Mr. Uh, Gallant and then it goes off on Stu. Yep. Poor Stu. I actually wrote poor Andre here because he was more upset than Stu was about mm-hmm. this. Um, <clears throat> now, they are taken into a decontamination um, room. This is the first episode of the season and this is to hook all the females i know because i am one of them we get a shot of evan peter's ass and everybody's waiting for that shot it's kind of like the kid in castle rock everybody's waiting to see it so we get it they are scrubbing their skin raw which gave me the creeps because i thought that's really painful um they just put them in the thing that they we're in when they first came in. Okay. And this is why I'm going to give some thoughts at the end. I don't believe, obviously, for reasons we've all seen the episode, I don't believe that what is going on is what is going on. You know, that should uh, be a given with these type, with these uh, series anyway. But all they did was a poof on them to decontaminate them in the suits and now they're rubbing them and scrubbing them raw and 
you know, scanning them nude and just basically, you know, humiliating them. And, uh, oh, I can't get past this Evan Peters ass shot. Okay, so uh, the um, Geiger meter? Geiger counter. Geiger counter. Okay, okay, I'm going to get it, okay? The the Geiger counter clears um, Mr. Gallant, and then it does go off the charts on poor Stu. And he's pleading his case. He didn't go outside of the walls, which he didn't. We all know he didn't. Um, He didn't do anything wrong. There has to be a mistake. Please don't water hose me again, you know, and she says, don't worry, you're not going to have to. And then it's a clear, you know, shot to the head execution style, um, <clears throat> which seems to be the way that they like to kill people in this outpost. So uh, Ev, um, Mr. Gallant gets to watch Stu be murdered, which I have to assume is traumatic and relieving at the same time. So, <laughs> Is there anything in the chat? Yeah, Jackie Torrance said, if there's two things in this world I love, it's Evan Peters' ass and Bill Skarsgård's ass. He <laughs> has me for the rest of the season, just like that. And I replied, I just wanted to see old Francis Conroy in a goddamn oh. And I couldn't get that, and you guys are getting asked right and left. I so. mean, it, it, it's time for women. Hello? I know, I'm just... <laughs> Okay, uh, you're going to get your Francis Conroy, and you're going to get your um, scrawny goddess, so never mind you right now, okay? Um, So, Venable and Bates meet uh, after all of this goes down, which, you know, it's creepy to begin with because Miss Venable is checking herself out in the mirror in her period clothing, you know, um, Mm -hmm. colonial clothing, and I assume what's going through her mind is, I'm a bombshell, you know, in, in this Victorian outfit. That's all purple. <laughs> this purple outfit. Um, Boo knocks on the door, asks her if she's decent. She tells her to come in, and she says decent enough, which that starts to give me the flags of there being a little bit more of a um, elite and, uh, like, law enforcement type relationship Mm. between these two obviously she tells her we're the only ones that matter when boo says what do you think the co-op would think of this um then that's when it's revealed that they are just messing with everyone in there she said how did you pull that off and kathy bates tells her that it was easy she just turned the sensitivity up um and to a 10 and it would make somebody you know go off like they were in chernobyl or whatever so Mm. Um, really messed up. Poor Stu. Poor Andre. Um, they have a good laugh and a good giggle over that. I did skip something that I also thought was funny is once uh, Kathy Bates took off her cloak, she also had on purple period clothing and had a nice laugh over it in the mirror. So I'm sure they're laughing at, you know, her. She thinks she looks, you know, ridiculous or whatever. Mm. Uh, let's see. Um, this did kind of gross me out. I'm sorry that Venable says, I must say that gave me a tingle. I was like, ugh. Because that noise that that machine makes, I don't know how it could give me a A tingle. Um, so. Although it does kind of reinforce the fact that she's a sadistic monster, I guess. 
Yes, yes, which uh, turns out to be her pattern in most of these seasons, especially yeah. at Coven. So, Kathy Bates then kind of goes, you know, straight talk with her. She says, what would the co-op think about us, you know, um, having this type of relationship here, us messing with the terrorizing the guests and killing them and, you know, not feeding them properly, all of these things. Um, that's when uh, Venable says, well, we're the only ones that matter. And she tells her that basically fuck the co-op because, you know, it's just the two of them now. Now, Kathy Bates, she's, she seems to have a moral combat uh, compass, even though she likes to kill people. It's in her DNA, she says. Mm-hmm. Um, but the co-op has paid her bills for years. Okay, so another thing, obviously, this has been in the works for years. And for years, they've known that this nuclear war was happening. Mm-hmm. Who they are, we don't know yet. Again, I wrote poor Andre. Coco makes an offhanded remark. <laughs> As usual, that's her repertoire. And I wrote, they fried green tomatoed his ass uh, in this next sequence, which I think is hilarious. Um, What does that mean? Have you never seen fried green tomatoes? I'm not a woman. You don't have to be a woman to see classic movies. My gosh. Okay, so in Fried Green Tomatoes, basically, spoiler warning for anyone who has not watched that movie, but you plan on it, um, you might want to cover your ears. They have to cover up a murder, these two friends in this town, and um, they chop him up and make him into barbecue because they own a little uh, cafe called The Whistle Stop. I thought and- that movie was about feelings and shit. Oh, like, it was. Ladies talking to each other. Oh, yeah, because Kathy Bates, ironically, was in that as well. She was selling Mary Kay. <laughs> I didn't and, know uh, yeah, and so, but the Miss Iggy, or uh, whatever she went by in the nursing home, which we found out she was Iggy, um, was telling her her story the whole time. But uh, yeah, so they had to, uh, I think his they name was Tawanda, which I assume means yeah. something to you. Yeah, Tawanda. Uh, face it, ladies, I'm older and have more insurance. <laughs> so anyway, they fried green tomatoed his ass because they basically, you know, made him dinner, which is what they did in fried green tomatoes to get rid of uh, Frank's body. Everyone was going crazy over the stew and the barbecue at that time. And the this was the famous line, secrets in the sauce, when it's really a human being. So, um. They are shown that they get a special uh, consolation prize for their loss, which um, they reveal is a steaming pot of stew, ironically. Um, Everyone, you know, just starts diving in, except Andre. Of course, he's still hurt over the loss of his partner, and he thinks that they're bribing him, and he's not going to accept the bribery. And she tried, Venable, you know, she tries to talk him down from that and, you know, tell him that he was a threat and blah, 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 blah. You know, the basic uh, pull in the wool over your eyes spiel. Uh, (laughs) So then uh, Dinah asks where they've been keeping this fresh meat from. 
and she says we have you know special resources for special circumstances and you know that's when you should start to really <laughs> question what's going on here um kathy bates says it is chicken Evan Peters pulls out a, I thought upon first watch it was a tooth, but I think it was a bone fragment out of his mouth after taking a bite. And he's like, hmm, this is interesting. Along the same time, Andre pulls out a finger bone, which is obvious. That's what it is. Um, so he loses his mind and the barfing of, you know, starts with, I can't believe it just ate a human being. Everyone except for Grandma Evie, who says, I don't care what it is. It's full of fiber, and I'm going to eat it, and I'm hungry. Another, <laughs> another comedic relief from her. Mm -hmm. um, they go back to a cocktail hour, um, and Andrea Stillip said Dinah is consoling him, you know, and <laughs> Grandma says, oh, come on. It was chicken because Dinah said they wouldn't serve us stew because he was contaminated, right? Yep. Well, Grant, uh, it really wasn't it was a double secret. Yeah, and I do think that Grandma Evie knows that it was stew because she says then it was wonderful white meat chicken. <laughs> so, um, then we get a cut and a um, reference that it is now 18 months later. Mm -hmm. um, uh, it is the same song. Everyone was getting so excited because all of a sudden, the song that had been playing for days and days um, stopped and a new song came on. And mm -hmm. forgive me, I didn't research and look at the songs but apparently Mr. Gallant got, you know, the feelings that they were fixing to be rescued um, from this song that came on. Mm -hmm. That's why I put an LOL where it says 18 months later and they're all sitting there with the same song going. Um, I put what the fuck is with Coco's hair. Um, <laughs> did you probably ran out of styling products, I would assume. And then you see the kind of a wrap up or you know a little compilation of what's been going on for the past you know 18 months um they're back to the cubes no more special um treats so uh, that means no one has been shot there oh i think we lost connection um comedic relief where she says this is an effective dieting technique you know, Coco complains. Uh, Mr. Gallant loses his shit here, and he tries to revolt, um, throws his plate against the wall. He says, I'm sick of this shit. And Dinah, <laughs> bless her heart, uh, you know, she tries to come in and, and calm him. And this is one of my favorite lines, and I'm probably going to put this on a shirt, is, if you start with your bumper sticker shit, I am going to shove this fork in your eye. <laughs> Uh, because he's like not on board with the you know kumbaya let's chill out stuff here uh right as that's happening a buzzer goes off i want to say that before this happens we have in there the montage no it's at the end i guess is is it the end where the timothy mutant is describing 
the life in the 18 months where he and Emily um, limit themselves to one kiss per week so they don't mess up. And But they obviously are having a relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, they love each other. They can't be together in the way that they want to be together. Uh, so they are trying to contain themselves. Um, so as uh, Mr. Gallant is losing his uh, shit, uh, another buzzer goes off, and it's a red siren. Um, everyone kind of, you know, starts to go berserk, and Miss Venable says it is a breach, so out goes Kathy Bates and that other random guard. Um <clears throat> I loved this imagery of a horse-drawn carriage pulling up. What I thought of, which when we see the horses, they're not zombie horses, which I was extremely disappointed about. But um, I had a thought. (laughs) Yeah, well, no, they were... They had those canker pus things going on, which is sad. Um, but I wanted, like, mutated, like, you know, horses. I wanted some horror stuff there. Like a, uh, like a hanging out of its side with a blood supply, that yeah. kind of shit? Yeah, or something like in Game of Thrones with the White Walkers horses. You know, something creepy where, like, half their face is nothing but bones. But anyways, I, be- beggars can't be choosers. Okay, we're getting what we're getting. This uh, figure comes off of the wagon. He walks up and he flips open his ID. And this is none other than the coveted Michael Langdon, who we know is the uh, Rosemary's baby, (laughs) the Satan baby that was born in Murder House. Uh, The baby that was born to Vivian and Tate. Now, I did a screen freeze and a screenshot of his credentials. I found them very interesting. I found it interesting that the last three of his ID were 666. Nice. Yeah. Um, And he has unlimited clearance. So I'm guessing that he's part of, well, and we know he's part of the the co-op, but I'm guessing that he's like, you know, the head honcho of this. So, Um, yeah. This is where the ghost comes back in because she had what to say about this whole thing in her, in her big email. She says, yes, yes, tell us. He says, I'm so glad he showed up in the first episode and we didn't have to wait until halfway through the season to meet him. So this is uh, Vivian Hammond and Tate Langdon's demon baby all grown up. He's given me weird beast as in beauty and the beast when he becomes human again vibes, <laughs> which is not important. What is important that he's clearly running some shit. So many questions. Was he raised by Vivian and Dr. Hyman in the murder house? Because they end up dead too, right? Did Constance raise him next door? Is he really the Antichrist? Did he set the, cause the apocalypse? How did he get involved with the cooperative? Is he already working with Miriam, Kathy Bates, uh-huh. to okay. take care of the horses, which to her meant kill him? And he yeah. either knew she would know what he meant by take care of him with his demon brain, or he knew that she shot him as it happened. Yeah. And that was the thing that she had mentioned about Miriam that's freaky and scary. She fucking dragged those horses into the tree. I mean, is what is she like superwoman? Yeah, that <laughs> even even canker filled radiation <laughs> horses weigh a lot. You don't do that. So uh, yeah. For sure. I'm thinking she's getting more than one cubes a day, okay? Because yeah. she's getting extra nutrients, okay? She's a cube <laughs> 
fighting. Um, yeah, that was yeah. I was a little impressed at her strength there. And you're right. She's obviously she's been with the co-op for a while. We know that because she said they've been paying her bills for a while. Um, and I'm in the military. So do you think that it's they're connected or that she flipped? You know, she flipped over. Did it start when? When uh, Demon Boy was born, theoretically, <clears throat> yeah, and that's exactly right because uh, I don't think that it's a throwaway that she mentions, you know, being military kid and her the killing being in her DNA, and uh, obviously this is kind of a DNA heavy episode where they're focused on you know getting this super you know human breed or something going on, so. Um, yeah, I think this has been in the works for years. I'm interested to see who actually starts it because, and if I can recall correctly, from the last episode of The Murder House, um, season one, Constance does have the baby next yep, that's door with her. I'm going to do with you because the baby killed, and I can't remember who it was, he well, he wasn't a baby anymore. He was like a toddler. Yeah, he was in the rocking chair with blood on him, and she, mm-hmm. he killed—I don't know—the nanny or something. I don't think it was a nanny. Yeah, and he was sitting there giggling like a little monster. <laughs> yeah, he was so cute. So, yeah, he that that was the last of that uh, season. So uh, he obviously ages super fast because if you're keeping with a current timeline which i don't know what their timeline is like in this okay right. but if he's already middle aged or you know in at least in his mid to late 30s or 40s that was only 8 years ago theoretically you know when that season came out so he ages super fast so maybe that has something to do with him being uh, obviously the devil or satan or you know some connection like that some demon um that he's got in him because that was the first thing i thought of when i saw him are you this old and then i had the recall back to where it was almost like he had just been born and then he was already a toddler killing people so accelerated growth perhaps that's you can get around it right right um now what i like here and I was going to make a shirt tonight. I ran out of time. I like to make shirts with funny quotes on them. My shirt for tonight was the very first thought when Michael Langdon took off his uh, mask. Is that Michael Langdon or is that the vampire Lestat? Because they uh, look the exact same. Right. I was like, this beautiful flowing quaff that you have is so interview with a vampire. <laughs> and that's all I had in my mind. So I, I had to rewind that a few times because obviously I giggled a lot over that. Um, and so he reveals himself. One thing I do like is this is a new actor that is too new as into the American horror uh, series or anthology, but he was, Andrew Cunanan's um, lover, Ugh, I use that 
in quotes loosely David in um, the assassination of Gianni Versace. He did a great job in that role. So I'm, and that was also on FX. So I'm assuming that um, that's how he got his foot in the door to be right. on the show. Um, so I like him and I'm excited about him being the devil baby. Mm-hmm. Um he he's got some freaky like facial you know um his eyes are almost like amber see-through and they're it's red around his eyes so i don't know if that's from being out in the contamination uh or if that's you know just what his makeup is it's called devil eye Mel. (laughs) sorry i obviously i need to do more research on devil eyes um i'm here for those kinds of facts (laughs) Devil eyes to me were always like red, <laughs> so or fire reddish around the outside, but That's it's not true. just devil eyes. It's devil eyes, deviled eggs, deviled ham. There's a lot of things that can be deviled. And I liked all those things, so <laughs> you know I'm fitting right in here with this. So um, now I do like his demeanor towards Venable. She tries to come off as I run this place. What are you doing here? You know. Um, we're doing fine without you here. I, I'm trying to figure out if they've met before, actually, because she introduces herself to him. But he asks for her to, is it Miriam? Is that Kathy yeah. Bates? Yeah, Miriam. Um, he tells her, hey, it's Michael Langdon. I want to see Miss Venable. And she knows to let him in and do whatever. So it made right. me wonder if Venable had not met him yet, like in a, a an official capacity or whatever. So, uh, she goes on the spiel about, I don't know why you're here. We're running our facility, you know, very well. Our, um, you know, our people are healthy and, you know, doing so great. And he says, you know, well, that's actually what brings me here because three more outposts were overrun. So, um, now we're at six and three are not going to last through the year, which leaves us at nine. So in the beginning of course, Outpost three was one of ten, so this is leaving outpost three as the surviving uh, outpost. But then, so does that mean if they're getting overrun by people that are surviving and like tearing it down, you know what I mean? That's one thing. But if it's just, oh yeah, no, that's not going to last you. Well, then go help them, stupid. Like put some fucking more cubes in your stagecoach and get over there and help them. <laughs> I mean, well, and caught me off guard as well because I was thinking okay so now you're going to visit this place and I'm assuming it's because you aren't getting reports that they're doing bad here but right. you didn't try to step in and help anybody else in these other outposts that are supposed to be just like this outpost here with genetically super fit humans that are able to survive this and then assumingly millionaires that have paid to get on this so yep. Um, it makes me wonder again about the two teenage mutants that, that, that they bought in. Um, so he says, actually, that's why I'm here. All of your people are doing very well. The outposts, you know, leaving you the only outpost that's going to be survived or, you know, left standing. Um, he says, we have another facility that is impregnable, stocked with supplies and, oh, to a and stocked with uh, supplies that will last a decade. It's called the sanctuary. Now, 
Yeah. I'm going to have to keep a lot of notes here because I got another show that has a sanctuary in it. I got another, like, they have a lot of callbacks here. And I'm like, I'm going to have to put, I got to put notes out to my sanctuary. I don't think, I don't think sanctuary is going to be what we call it because I think they're going to go to the coven house. Yes. That's exactly what I think. And, and that, and I, I have some questions about what the coven storyline is going to be here. Um, is it going to be them against the, the, the coven witches, um, as a battle against, you know, saving possibly these mutant, uh, kids or, you know, what's going to happen here? Um, because we're also going to have all of murder house back. Yeah. I think, uh, other than, you know, obviously the antichrist, I don't know how they're going to get murder house into it, but I'm sort of convinced that if any place in American horror story world was going to be able to the the two places it would be left standing after the apocalypse would be the witch school and maybe the hotel. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, maybe the murder house, but I don't think the house had, well, the house did have a lot of shit in it. Okay. So I'm going to expand it to three. Okay. It would be neat if the only two things in LA were the house and the hotel and they actually showed that. Exactly. That would be a dope shot yeah you know what i mean right but i think the witches would be able to put up some kind of witch shield or some shit like that you know what i mean and and save themselves well and it's interesting because the witches are in louisiana right so um you know i'm i'm just interested in in uh you know how how this is going to come about um I'm I'm going to assume the murder house people are all coming back into play because uh, Vivian is this Michael's mom, and and they're all spirits stuck in the house because all of them now are dead. You know, so I don't know if they go back to the house. Um, By the way, the chat said uh, that Sanctuary is bad. Did they not see Walking Dead? Thank you. That's the sanctuary that I was referring to. I just didn't want to. I didn't want to bring up the Walking Dead, <laughs> but uh, yeah, immediately I was like, "Don't go anywhere that's named the sanctuary. Just don't do it." Yep. Um, <clears throat> so this is where it gets interesting because she says, "Okay, well, you're going to take us all," and he said, "Actually, I'm not. Um, I am going to survey and select the ones that go." to the sanctuary i'm going to evaluate them to see who is the most fit for survival those who make my cuts live those who don't end up like my horses and r.i.p canker pus horses um you were obviously pulled into the shrubbery and eaten by what i'm assuming is a creature from the credits or this canker pus uh, breed of humans that are out there now. Wandering around. Yeah. Because you can definitely hear them, hear some crunching and munching going on. And I was like, huh. Hmm. But it has to be something big that's eating a horse. Miriam Muscles, that's who. She didn't care. (laughs) It could have been her, you know? Just ripping it from, like, limb to limb over there. Um. So that's where we end the episode. I I think it was a strong opening to the season. I have some things. Uh, Grandma Evie, um, 
she's set as a recurring uh, or you like a guest star in the series. So I don't know if she's going to be in every episode, but I kind of don't want the campy humor in almost every scene um, because that that just doesn't do a lot for me. I want, I want more like thriller and mystery and horror, like gory things. And that's, that's who I am. With us coming off Castle Rock that turned out to not really have much horror in it. Mm, yeah. I really want it to be a horror story and not just, Oh, that's vaguely unsettling. You know yeah. what I mean? Like just have some scary shit going on. And, and if you're going to start, with the Antichrist ushering in the apocalypse, you've set the bar pretty high for yourself as far as what you're going to do from a horror standpoint. Well, exactly. Yeah. Um, the When the Timothy mutant was talking and summarizing up kind of what was going on in that 18 months, um, he did refer to it as the nuclear winter. So, um, you know, I again, I don't know what happens after a nuclear bomb as in do you you have a certain amount of time before you obviously you're going to have radiation but before it's safe for you to come out and possibly go to another safe place or whatever um if there's different stages to it like now there's nuclear winter like what's next after that i don't know um but i think it had I, I liked the first episode. I read some reviews. Some people didn't think it was a strong start to the season, but in American Horror Story fashion, they they gear they're giving you just enough, and they're character developing, and that's the kind of stuff that I like to start the season off with. Like, okay, now we we know who the stronger ones in the group are, the emotional ones, the ones who are going to throw temper tantrums. And you can almost kind of start to figure out, well, who, who would they start, you know, taking off the list (laughs) of, you know, people to take on with them. So your thoughts on the episode? Cause I just like literally talked the whole time. Well, that's, that's your (laughs) thing. You had to tell us what happened. Now I have, the beginning was so cliched. They had to have known it was cliched and they did it on purpose. I cannot imagine that they just got done watching 2012 and said, Hey, I know what we'll do, you know, make a movie about traffic. And that was kind of a bother. I like how they put all the pieces in place so that we know what's going to happen. And they gave one little tease. Actually, uh, in the chat, someone said that they want to see Evie against Constance. So that would be a good (laughs) That would be great, yes. Yeah, you know, like, oh, I'm just going to say distracted one-liners at you. (laughs) I know, right? Like, (laughs) Stu is fabulous. (laughs) And I think that there's definitely potential in the way they're setting it up. I feel a lot better about this season after the first episode than I did last year. Yeah. And that's going to be true basically about anything I compare to last year. Yeah, I so, agree. Yeah. You know, with the exception of, of discovering the delightful Sarah Yarkin, who was in cult for like one second. And yeah. that's the only thing other than a commercial she's ever been in, but her Instagram is really funny. Uh, so that was the one good thing that I took out of cult. Plus Chastity Bono was pretty good. But for this, oh yeah, yeah. I like these bigger themes. 
Mm-hmm. They definitely pit like if this was going to be oh finally the season you wanted we take the best parts from Freak Show and Roanoke and then everybody would just be like yeah no no exactly <laughs> oh I would have passed no I would have watched it but I would have in my mind been like this is going to be a strong pass for me but I'm still going to watch it yeah so I'm I'm going to give it a. Maybe we should come up with a scale. I was about to say, I know we know our our friends at um, Fan Critical have blueberry scale, so yeah, uh, I do like their idea of having uh, no halves, but we can't do blueberries because it's our it it's a yeah, new yeah thing. it has to um, be unique to us. So we're just gonna say we we don't have to say what they are yet. I'm gonna give it a three out of five objects because we haven't decided what. Oh, you know what? Three out of five nutrient cubes. Oh, okay, I love it. All right, so you give it a three out of five nutrient cubes. Okay, um, I am going to actually agree with you and probably go with three out of five because I agree with everything you said about the whole beginning being so super cliche. I think, and this is, I don't mean to offense anyone in LA because I've never been there, but I think they were playing up on what the stereotypical, uh, you know, what the stereotype of people in LA are um <clears throat> and it, it it just came off you know cliche to me and the only part that moved me I guess or spoke to me in the beginning was that broadcaster that was pretty much right. it um that was a chilling broadcast and it was something that I could you know honestly believe you know so and if you have to say that within you know the first five minutes before the credits roll uh or your opening credits roll that the best part was a newscaster and yeah, yeah. um but i i hope and I, well, I think that that's out of the way they got that whole thing out of the way and, and maybe from now on it's going to be you know straight to the theme of what this season is going to be I myself cannot wait for the witches. Um, I read that they're all coming back. You will get Frances Conroy back. She will not be as Myra, but she will be as Myrtle Snow. I like it. I'll yep. take it. Yep. Didn't she burn? She burned at the stake. So I don't want to get all like, because obviously you know, well, I've been talking to you. I got timeline issues in my head right now. <laughs> but... I this is why I'm wondering where in the timeline this is going to fit because another thing about Coven is that Queenie Gab, Gabby Sidibe, I believe her name is um she was in hotel and she was murdered in the hotel I don't hmm. know if you if you remember that she checked in and uh she basically yeah, told yeah. them her she started it was um what's his name Holmes that killed her the Gavin yeah. this character yeah yeah. Oh, J.P. Morgan, I believe, or something like that. Yeah, yeah. but but H.H. Holmes, basically, is what we're going to call him. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, so that's two. I think they – did Did they end up – I told you I have to refresh myself on Coven um, about, you know, Emma Roberts. I think her name was Madison in that oh, one. Madison Montgomery, who yeah. was – I think she must be descended from the Montgomerys from the other. That, from, from one. Yeah. yeah. The, the ones that made the, um, well, and that's another thing. Okay. This actually brings me to a, a very valid thought here because hotel 
it would have been nice if they tied in some of Hotel because Hotel also had a callback to season one that the Countess was the mother of the baby that was crawling around in the basement mm-hmm. of that house. That's um, true. Yeah. That's true. So, uh, anyway, so yeah, and and then we know uh, Montgomery is of the doctor and and his wife uh, Montgomerys that are stuck in the house. Um, so I have uh, some other some questions from uh, from the ghost, <laughs> and it's just titled Bunker Life. <laughs> and I don't think there's no answers for them, but they're funny. Are they really super cubes that can give you a full day of nutrients? I'm going to say no. <laughs> what the fuck kind of boys school turned bunker is this? That's weird. So that's not really a question, I guess. Uh, where is it located in the U.S.? That's actually kind of interesting to me. Why do they dress in purple 18th century gob? Is that just weird flair that Michael wanted to put into place? Or are the witches really in charge and it was their idea? Oh, Interesting. Uh-huh. Why only one song over and over again? What was the song? We'll we'll have to go back and look. Yeah. By the time we put the post up, we should know the name of the song. I will, because I'll turn the subtitles on this time and it will tell me what the song is. How did the greys get chosen? And then how does this bunker seem to compare to real bunkers that crazy people are building in real life? And actually, I watched that show Doomsday Preppers a bunch of times. Yes. And this place is super nice. <laughs> yes, because fallout shelters are not. Uh, the, the bunkers that they're building are not like this. The, the the doomsday prepper people are just getting robbed by the, oh, yeah, we'll make you a bunker that you'll never, ever have to use. So <laughs> here's what I did. I took a shipping container, and then I put a fucking lawn chair in it. So give me 20000 bucks because I just buried it in your yard, you dummy. And yeah, exactly. That's how that worked. And they well, had a bunch of like freeze dried fucking ugh, shit like that. Yeah, like I, Salisbury steaks. Yeah, that's better than a key. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was finding the sausages, which yeah, I, I would like, eat. But... Well, I had a comfy bed here in this one. Yeah, but they got more than cubes over there. So maybe we should go to the other bunker. Yes, true. Um, that is interesting, though. I do wonder where this. Uh, outpost is as well because it was two weeks before the the teenage mutants showed up there um you know so did they stay in those um you know detaining cages or whatever you want to describe them as that long or did it take a long time it will take a long time to get anywhere well well yeah so I'm wondering like uh, I mean it could be anywhere which that would, is interesting and i'd like to know again and i think you and i probably you know touched on that with saying that the sanctuary might be the coven house those are good questions i really good questions um what else do we have i do uh-huh go ahead i think we have to we're gonna have to do the thing that we sort of did with uh with the castle rock show but maybe what we'll do is we'll put the list of unanswered questions yes. in the post as we go so that people can refer back to it and we'll cross them off if they get answered. Okay, I like that a lot. Um, just a couple more things in case anyone hasn't, you know, looked it up, which I'm sure 
it, we're all fans we have. But um, let's see. Evan Peters will be pe- playing the two roles this this uh, season, Mr. Gallant and um, Tate Langdon. Sarah Paulson, she's playing three roles this uh, season. So Miss Venable, Cordelia Good from the um, Coven, and then Billy Dean Howard. And that and, was Murder House, right? And that was Murder House. She was the uh, psychic in Murder House that right. Constance got off Craigslist. Um, and then I I cannot pronounce her name. Um, she's a wonderful actress, but I just have a hard time. But the actress that played Zoe um, Benson, Dr. Oh. Ben, yeah, Tate Taisa. Ugh, I'm butchering that. I, yeah, I can't say it. Yeah. Um, and then she, so Zoe was her um, coven uh, character, and then Violet Harmon was her murder house, and by far the saddest uh, death that I thought of that season. Found out when she found herself. Oh my gosh. Oh, jeez. That's tough. <sighs> so, uh, but Frances Conroy, yep, she's going to be coming back as Myrtle. And yeah, so I, the, I've got to learn more about where this apocalypse has happened in the timeline because in other stories which could I mean I don't want to get into multi-verses either for American Horror Story but um, it could have been just a different universe with Hotel and Queenie being killed or a very different time at some point with um, them burning Myrtle at the stake so uh, but I'm excited to see her. <laughs> Billy Dean was in Hotel too, says Damio in the chat. I'm sorry, who was? Billy Dean. Oh, she was. Yes, uh, she did the. Um, she was doing a news story. Yeah. Yeah. See, this is why I say, why didn't they plug in some hotel stuff too? Maybe that's too much. Maybe that be too much to try to. If you got Sarah Paulson playing seven characters, <laughs> we might we uh-huh. might have to draw the line there. Uh, yeah, but Hotel seems to be very also connected into the you know these two as well. So um, this website I just looked up, it's Taisa Farmiga. Taisa, okay. So Taisa Farmiga. I wasn't that far off. So Taisa, okay. Um. So, but I think that the season is going to be interesting. It's got my attention for sure. Um, After a couple of times watching it too and noticing, you know, some of the things that I put in my notes, I, um, I've got a lot of questions already, obviously, and I'm excited about, I'm excited to what is going to have already transpired by the time we get to the mid season. Um, Yeah, because the mid season is always, you know, the half where shit starts getting real crazy. So, um, I'm, you know, I want to see what this sanctuary is about. I want to know what hair products, uh, Michael Langdon uses. And, uh, he obviously got Vivian's, um, beautiful hair. So, cause poor little Tate wasn't working with much there. So, Well, he was little Kurt Cobain, you know, so he just had a little shaggy do up there. So, True. um, so that's that's all the notes that I had. 
for the show. I hope I haven't bored y'all to tears with that because I get detailed with my notes. <laughs> nope. Good um, We're so, almost filling up on, on two hours because I can't do a show that's not two hours <laughs> long, apparently, no matter what. So that, to me, covers everything. And I am that halfway through thing that you just mentioned, I'm looking forward to it, but I'm also worried about it because that's the, and then part that I'm super worried about. You know what yeah. I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then, I just don't want it to be like, and then there's a sea fortress and then there's a mermaid <laughs> army. And that's the part that I just don't want. I just want to see the apocalypse, big, bad, fight the fucking witches just yeah. have a thing and they they do it by our little neighbor um she's the cutest thing in the world and when she wants to scare somebody she says she tells her mother that she's gonna boo them so <laughs> i want basically i want them to boo us yeah i do too i do too well I, some things that i have thought is when are we gonna see these pus canker pus creatures because i think that they may have a big part in you know what's happening here um because i don't think they would just show us something you know snatching those horses and and bones crunching for no reason and have mentioned you know these types of creatures outside um, more than one could also be a convenient way for them to say everything is a bottle like because if you're going to be go, why don't you just leave well you can't because there's canker pus monsters you know <laughs> well, that's true you know that that could be why yeah i want the canker pus monsters to look like the uh if you want to call them walkers zombies whatever from the coven season because those were my favorite uh little zombies that um I've had in a show so far. I mean, obviously, when you're walking with your walking dead, that's what the show's about. But um, those were fun little zombies, I thought, that that we had in that season. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, so I'm, I'm ready to – I really want to see the reunion of uh, Michael Langdon with his grandmother and his mom and Tate. Uh, I'm excited – I'm equally excited, I think, for the coven as for what they're going to incorporate the murder house with, because like I said, those are two favorite seasons, and I want to see as much of that as I can, so I don't want to lose sight of this separate season of Apocalypse, you know, like in the story that they're telling there, but getting a little ahead of myself because I'm like, Oh gosh, I can't wait to see, you know, um, the Harmons and, you know, all of our favorites from that, from that season. So. Well, this is, this is pretty great. And the fact that the chat was for, for our first show and nobody really knowing about it. I really appreciate everybody in the chat coming out to, to correct me when I say wrong stuff. And, uh, <laughs> Make fun of me for not watching all these movies that I didn't realize I was supposed to watch. It's okay. We're going to get you, you know, we're going to get you knowledge in those movies, okay? Because that'll go far in your life for you. (laughs) You can't yell out to Wanda but not know what it's from. 
Yeah, that is true. That's, um, I can only relay the Tawanda message. At this <laughs> that's right. You can't really feel it in your bones yet. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I know I can't see the chat, but I do want to thank everyone that has shown up in all of the questions and the feedback. They've been great. Um, yeah, just helping add to our theories and our, you know, what ifs and, and our unanswered questions. So thank you so much. It's always nice to have people uh, given their input to, you know, things that you missed as well, which is, which is great. So. Damn straight. So then I guess everybody make sure that you watch on Wednesday so that you can then hang out with us next Friday around, it's probably going to be about the same time because this works for me and we're, we're figuring everything out. You know, I'll make sure that, uh, I'll make sure that Mel's can see the chat ahead of time. We might, <laughs> the busier I guess, we might have to get a third person to help us with the chat part because there's no way we're going to be able to keep on top of it, you know, with just the two of us. But uh, for now, you guys got in on the ground floor of the whole thing. I know. Thing. Here's a round of applause for y'all. And if you have, we haven't made an email address for it. But if you have a, a message that you want to send right now, you can always get me on Twitter at Acadia and Mel's. Your Twitter is at Mel's Bells eighty four four. And you can email superficialgallery at gmail dot com because that's the been the gallery address forever. And we'll make sure that we we uh, incorporate your feedback into the show. And I guess we'll see you next Friday night. Yeah, and do email. I want to tell y'all that I I moved up from being a super fan to actually, you know, hosting with Acadia. And I didn't do the email thing. I bugged him on Twitter all the time. And then I finally got hip, and I sent an email. And that changed <laughs> their life forever. So... <laughs> Send your emails because we go, we will go through them and we will read them, you know, and we, you know, we will appreciate any feedback. So that's that, right. that's <laughs> of us doing the show because if you guys don't like it, then what are we going to do it for? We could have, <laughs> we could have just talked to each other about it without having a show. So that's true. That's true. <laughs> All right. Bye bye, everybody. Bye. We'll see y'all next week.